I want to invite you this morning to uh, turn with me in your Bibles to uh, the book of Hebrews in chapter 12, the book of Hebrews in chapter 12. As you're turning there, um, let me make a couple of announcements, a couple of announcements as you're turning there. Um, this coming uh, weekend on, uh, beginning on Friday, uh, beginning on Friday, we're going to be having, or we're actually going to be hosting uh, the Draw Near Prayer Conference uh, here at the church, here in the sanctuary, and it's going to be taking place on Friday, uh, Saturday, and Sunday nights beginning at 6.30, and we are going to have a number of uh, speakers um, coming from across the state and even across the country who are going to be coming in for a part of that, and there are some cards here in the back that you can pick up. Uh, we've been mentioning this for, for several months now, but um, if you maybe are visiting with us this morning, I invite you to grab one of those as you're leaving and uh, find out about that. I think we're going to have a good time. Uh, I think we're going to have some good preaching, and we're also going to have some good times of prayer uh, together as uh, we are, um, just our community is gathering here at the church uh, for that. So I hope you'll keep that in mind uh, beginning on Friday. Also, as I mentioned last week, um, we are to the point, the personnel team is to the point of wanting to call uh, someone to lead our music ministry here at the church. And so uh, this is kind of your formal uh, warning. That sounds, that doesn't sound, your, your formal information uh, that two weeks from today we are going to uh, be voting on um, Aaron Petit to lead our music program, and the way this is going to, to work, um, and you'll see this as you go out the back, is we have a, jo a job description for him, and once that's approved, uh, we have his uh, information here on the back. You can see his pretty picture, and uh, he's kind of like me. I think he makes his pictures look a lot better than he really looks. Um, hey, that's what you're supposed to do. It's Photoshop, right? That's how you do that. Uh, but, uh, but he and his wife are here and uh, uh, his family, and he's going to be with us the next several Sundays, and he'll also be with us on, um, uh, also be with us on uh, Wednesday nights. And so you can come out and meet him, and his information is there, and you can get one of these as you go out today. Uh, they're there on the back table. All right, I have a couple other announcements, but they'll be for the end of the service. So... Um, be prepared for those. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to begin in verse 18. And when you have that, if you'll stand with me this morning in reverence to God's word. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 18. The Bible says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion. And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, 
and to the assembly of the firstborn who enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, and now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. You may be seated. If you were not with us last week, we looked at a portion of God's word earlier here in the book of Hebrews in chapter 12... And God encourages his people not to grow weary. Um, He had talked in chapter 11 about all these people of faith who had done great things because they had had faith in God. And they were not rewarded because of the things that they did, but because of the faith that it took to do those things. And so he encourages them as he goes into chapter 12 that part of the Christian life and part of following after Christ is going to be the fact that we encounter difficulties, that we're going to deal with hard circumstances, that we're going to to face things that are going to make us uncomfortable. And so he encourages them that as they face these things, as they deal with these hard times, they should not grow weary, but they should press on. They should run after Christ. They should look to Christ, who is the great example to them of what faith is and the great example to them of what they should be doing in following after God. And so he gives us here at the end of chapter 12 these these kind of final words of encouragement in this section of the book. He wants us to understand that our God is not only with us, but he is with us in such a way that we can approach him And that we can have a relationship with him. And that we can be close to him. And he gives us this example that he talks about here. Which is from Exodus chapter 19 and Exodus chapter 20. Where the people of God find out very quickly that they do not have what it takes to be close to God. They simply don't have the righteousness. And they don't have the right standing before God to be close to him. If we go back to the book of Exodus, and I'll summarize this story for you, the people of God have come out of their captivity in Egypt. They have crossed over the Red Sea, and they're kind of wandering in the wilderness. And so they're at the point where God is going to give them his law. And he has been in communication with Moses. He has been talking with Moses, but he wants the people to understand that Moses is the one who he's communicating with. And he doesn't want the people of God to have any doubt about his communication with Moses. So he tells Moses, I'm going to appear on this mountain, and I want the people to get ready. 
Because they're going to get to experience me talking to you. Now think about this. This is, this is how much different the relationship with God is at this point. Because the people of God are not talking directly with God, but instead they are having to settle for somebody talking with God on their behalf. And so they spend time getting ready to talk to God. They, they spend time in, in preparation. And God gives them this rule. He gives them this, this um, law that is put in place, this mountain that he's going to appear on. They are not allowed to touch this mountain. Because this is going to be where God is, and they are not worthy to be where God is. They need to stand far away and watch. And God tells them that if anybody goes and touches this mountain where he is going to dwell, this place that is going to be holy, they are to be killed. And they're not to be killed by being arrested and taken away, but they're to, be, they're to have rocks thrown at them or they're to be shot with arrows because no one is to touch them because they have touched the place that God is and they're not worthy to do so. And as we're reminded here in the book of Hebrews, the law is so specific that even their animals are not allowed to touch this mountain because they're unworthy to do so. And if the animals do so, even they are to be killed. So this terrible day happens, and it's interesting because this is supposed to be a joyous day, right? God is coming down in your midst. God is going to give the Ten Commandments, which is what happens in Exodus chapter 20. And it's supposed to be a joyous day, or at least it seems like it should be a joyous day, but it is considered to be a terrible day. And so Moses gets the Ten Commandments. And at the end of chapter 20, and I don't want to talk too much about it because you might hear it again on Friday night during the prayer conference when I'm preaching, just to give you a hint. The people come to Moses and they say, not again. We, we, we can't handle that again. We, we can't do that. Let him talk to you. That's fine, Moses, but not us. As a matter of fact, if you look there in Chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews, end of verse 19, the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. It was so terrifying when you stop to realize the power of God that it scared them. Remember, these are the same people that if you go back into, again, the book of Exodus, you see they witness all of these things happen. They witness all the plagues that Moses calls down from heaven. They witness the death even in the last plague of the firstborn where the death angel comes across all of Egypt. And the firstborn in every household that does not have blood applied to the door, they die. They had witnessed that, and it still had not Shaken them. But when God's presence appears, they're terrified. They're scared. Because they realize how holy God is. And they understand that if they try to come into his presence in an unworthy manner, their life is snuffed out. 
But he tells us here, and this is the hope. That wasn't very joyous, right? I told you this was a message of encouragement, and that was doom and gloom and darkness. So there's got to be something different here. He talks to us in this passage before us this morning about the fact that we come to a different mountain. He contrasts two mountains here, two different places. The first mountain that he talks about here is the one we have been talking about from Exodus 19 and 20. The people are at the foot of this mountain. God is speaking to Moses and they are scared. Why are they scared? Well, look what he says for verse 18, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest. So think about this. We have this mountain where God is going to appear in Exodus 19 and 20. And it's a scary place. There's smoke and there's a storm. But the scariest part of all of it is the fact, and he says that at the beginning of verse 18, the scariest part of all of it is that you can touch the mountain. It's right there in front of you. Now, why is that scary? Because what happens if you touch the mountain? They take you out and they stone you to death. They take you out and they shoot you with arrows, and it's there. It's possible that you could mess up and touch it. Even with the animals who, who could touch this, do animals know what they're doing? I mean, I got a couple dogs, and they're dumb. My wife keeps telling me they're smart, but I think they're dumb. I mean, they, they both have food, and they fight over each other's food, even though they could just eat their own. That's pretty dumb, but that's what they do, right? And I understand that there are a lot of animals that are a lot dumber than dogs. I mean, there's some animals out there that they just, they, I mean, you see them on the road all the time. You probably hit them all the time. I mean, they just wander across the road. You would think after generations of watching squirrels, other squirrels be hit by cars, they would stop doing that, but they don't. So how is an animal supposed to even know where the line is? You know, on this line, you're okay. You cross over here and you get stoned to death by people for no reason, or at least that's what's on your mind. That's how seriously God takes his holiness, is that when he appears to them, there is a line that they cannot cross it is there, and they're aware of it. But if, if some kid that doesn't know what they're doing, they go running off and they run up the side of the mountain. God didn't make an exception for them. Your cow gets loose, and your cow goes running up the side of the mountain. You take it out and stone it. It's scary. It's scary to think that there is something out there for them that they could touch, and they would have violated God's holiness. And for that, he has said they should be put to death. But he says, for you have not come to what may be touched. You've not come to a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest. You've not come to the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. You've not come to a place where we are told, if you touch the mountain, you shall be stoned. In verse 21, we have not come to a place that is so terrifying that like Moses, we say we tremble with fear. He says, we have come to something else. See, even Moses, who had communicated with God throughout the book of Exodus, you go back and you see God speak to him first in the burning bush, the bush that burns and is not consumed. 
And God speaks to him as he tells him, go and talk to Pharaoh. Go and bring my people out of captivity. He, he speaks to Moses as he calls down those um, terrible plagues. He speaks to Moses as Moses stands and he, he raises his arms and the Red Sea parts. But this was different. This was so scary that even Moses is concerned and he's the one who listens to God. But he says, that's not us. That's not what we've come to. That's not what God has done for us. Because listen, that's the extent of their relationship with God because of their lack of holiness. And frankly, that is the extent, that is the limit of their relationship with God because the person who stood in between them and God, the person, Moses, who stood there and, and talked to God on their behalf, he was not perfect. As a matter of fact, the first time God calls him, he's like, no, not, not going to do that. And God's like, I need you to go talk to Pharaoh. And Moses like, I, I don't speak well in public. That would be some of you, right? You'd get up here and, um, mm-hmm. Right? Just some, you know, there's a lot of things I don't like to do. This one I'm fine with. I can do this all day. I can tell some jokes and, you know, whatever. But some of you would be terrified. That's Moses. Scared to death. I want to take my brother who's incompetent with me. Because that will be better if two of us who are incompetent go. That's why this is the best relationship they could have with God. Because they had an incompetent person who is standing in between them and the holy creator of the universe. To the point where even he gets scared when God shows up. But the writer of Hebrews said, all this, that's not us. So what is, what is it for us? What does it look like? He says, you, but you, transition here, but you, verse 22, have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. First difference. He says, you've come to a different mountain. They went to this really scary place. This place of doom and gloom and darkness and loud trumpets and voices that pierced your ears that made you never want to hear it again. But we have come to Mount Zion. We have come to God's holy mountain where God does not speak to us like that. He does not speak with a voice that scares us or startles us, but he speaks with a voice of love. He speaks with a voice of grace. He speaks with a voice that we can hear from Mount Zion. Second, he says, unto the holy or to the city of the living God. We come to a different city. What were the people of God seeking after? They were seeking after a promised land, right? It was this strip of not much better than the wilderness they were in there in Israel. It's a hot place. It's a desert place. But it was the place they had been promised. It was the place that God had promised Abraham back in the book of Genesis. Now generations later, as they're coming out of Egypt, it's the place that God had promised them. But it was a, a city, and it was a physical city. And guess what? If you go there today, right now, it's a city that's divided. It's a city that does not serve as the capital of Israel. It's a city, if there is ever two independent countries there, the Palestinians 
plan on it being their capital. The capital of Israel is in Tel Aviv. It's not in Jerusalem. It's a city that was conquered many times. It was a city that could pass away and so could their promised land because they did not have a country for 2,000 years. But he says, we have come to a different city. See, the heavenly Jerusalem is not a promised land that we inherit physically here on earth. But the holy city that God has for us is an eternal city that cannot pass away and cannot be conquered. No one can ever take it from us. No one can ever ruin it. No one can mess it up. It can't be polluted. It can't be trashed. It can't be overpopulated. It's perfect. It's a different city. The end of verse 22, we He tells us about a different gathering. He says to the city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. If you read through the book of Exodus, what you often see, and this happens in the last four books of the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. So Exodus, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Numbers. When you read this, you read about the assembly of the people. The people are assembled. They assemble together. When Moses wanted to tell them something, he didn't shoot a text or an email. He had to get everybody together. And so this assembly is the same assembly that we read about that constantly disobeys God. When Moses has gone too long up on the mountain, they decide to build themselves a golden calf and they fall down and worship it. When they all get assembled together in the book of Numbers and the spies have come back from the promised land, ten of the spies say, hey, we can't conquer this land. We can't do what God has told us to do is basically what they're saying. And so what happens? The assembly decides, hey, it would be better if we were slaves again in Egypt. It didn't work out too well for them when they got together. And they tried to do something without listening to God. But he speaks here for us of a different type of assembly. He says, this assembly involves angels and festal gathering. This assembly involves the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. This this assembly is talking about the kingdom of God. See, if we go back to the book of Exodus, we see that when they're assembled together, they're scared. They've seen this mountain and they've seen the darkness and they've heard the storms and they're scared. But this assembly that he's talking about is one of joy. It's one of hope in God's kingdom. The angels are celebrating. It is the firstborn of all those who are enrolled in heaven. It's it's the gathering of God's people together and there is joy and happiness. It is not doom and gloom. This is different because we we have been given something different. See, we are all gathered together, he says here at the end of verse 23, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. This gathering he talks about here is is God's creation with the angels. It's God's creation with the church, and it's God's creation with everyone who has ever been saved by Christ. He says all those who have been made perfect. What a different assembly this is. Because when you get all those people together, it's excitement, it's joy, it's worship. The other one, everybody's scared because God's presence has showed up on this mountain and they don't know what to do about it. His voice hurts their ears and they don't want to listen. But he said, we've been gathered together into something new. 
a new assembly. Assembly of hope. How is this assembly gathered? Verse 24, look. It's because we have a different mediator. Who is the mediator in Exodus? It's Moses, right? He's the one who can go up on the mountain. He's the one who can talk to God. Look here, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. See, Moses is replaced. If you've been with us through the whole spring as we went through Hebrews, you know we talked a lot about the law. Moses was the mediator of that law. He was the one who God had, had put in place, and Moses was the one who would talk to God. And when the people needed something, Moses would, would get himself together. He'd go up on the mountain. He'd talk to God, and sometimes he was gone a long time. And he would come back down, and he would tell the people, well, this is what God has said. And that was their connection to God. And we see after that, as the law was put into place, it became the priests. And they would follow after Moses' brother Aaron, and they would be the ones who would go in. And they would talk to God on your behalf. And you better hope they were a good one. You better hope they were living right. You better hope they were doing the right things because they were the ones responsible for going and talking to God for you. You didn't want to do it your own. Because when you did it on your own, this is what happened. God shows up on a mountain. And it's not fun. Because that's all they could offer. That's as good as they could be as a mediator between you and God. But he says, we don't have to worry about that because we have been given a new mediator who is a part of a new covenant. Jesus replaces Moses and therefore we can communicate with God through Christ. And Christ's communication is perfect. Unlike Moses, he doesn't stand there with the rest of us looking at the mountain and go, that's, that's pretty scary. Somebody else want to take my place? He's got it. He lives there. He lives in the presence of God. He, he sits there at his right hand and he talks to God on our behalf. And we don't have to worry about his incompetence. We don't have to worry about sin having affected him. And look, lastly, he says that there is different blood verse 24 he says into the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel I had no idea what that meant when I read that if you go back to the book of Genesis and you see where Abel is killed in chapter 4 God talks about Abel's blood which is spilled on the ground crying out to him and that doesn't make a lick of sense right here I read it. I was like, that's what I'm going to preach on Sunday, and, and that doesn't make any sense. If you flip back a page in your Bible, in chapter 11, verse 4, he says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and, though his, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. He's talking about the fact that Abel made a sacrifice of blood. First sacrifices that ever happened happened in Genesis chapter 4. Cain makes a sacrifice of fruits and veggies. And God's not a vegetarian, apparently. Abel makes a sacrifice of an animal. 
and God receives it. Now, we understand that the reason it was received is not what it was comprised of, but how it was given. But it was commended as a good offering. First one, first time that God had had an animal sacrifice there. We had the animals who died so that Adam and Eve would have their clothing, and now their son, Abel, makes a sacrifice to God. And God commends it. He says it's a good sacrifice. He says that Abel gave it in faith. But then he comes here one chapter later in chapter 12, and he says it speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Even as good as his sacrifice was, even as much as God commended him for it, and God appreciated it because of Abel's faith, the blood of Christ is infinitely more. The sprinkling of Christ's blood covers us infinitely more than that of Abel covered him. Even though it was a good sacrifice, the blood of Christ is still better than the blood shed by Abel. And doesn't that make good sense in the book of Hebrews? He's been telling us that Christ is better than everything else. And even the first sacrifice that was made, as good as it was, even though it got Abel killed because his brother was jealous and his, they, they, they fought it out and his brother killed him, but he tells us in chapter 11 that that sacrifice from Abel still speaks. But he comes to chapter 12 and he says, Friends, the blood of Christ is better. Because it covers us for all time. Because even Abel... Making that good sacrifice, one that was commended, one that's remembered even to this day because of Hebrews chapter 11. If he wanted to go into God's presence, he would have to walk up to that mountain. And he'd have to step foot on that holy place where God is. And he wasn't welcome there because he wasn't worthy. As good as his sacrifice was, he still wasn't worthy. But friends, you and I can enter into the presence of God. We can stand there in the presence of Christ who mediates between us and God, who speaks to God on our behalf, who points to us and says that we have been sprinkled with his blood. We can do that because Christ has offered better blood. So we're on a different mountain. But look at verse 25, 26, 27. We hear the same voice. And this is important because too many people read the, the thing in Exodus and they're like, that's a really mean God who nobody likes. And he didn't like anybody and we don't like him and we don't want anything to do with him. We like the Jesus part, but not the God part. But friends, he says here that it's the same voice speaking. It might be easier to hear. We might have the grace that is sufficient to listen. But it's the same voice. He says, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. The same guy's been speaking the whole time. It's God. He's been speaking through the whole book, this whole book, from Genesis until right here, and he speaks all the way until the end. He says, make sure that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will they escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Moses warned them not to step on the mountain. If you go back, and, and I encourage you to do that, read chapters 19 and 20 in the book of Exodus. There's a lot of preparation that goes into God appearing. They had to get ready. 
They spent two days getting ready, and God said, on the third day, I'm going to show up. They got ready because God was holy. But all the things that they knew about what God was doing came from Moses. Moses had warned them from earth. Well, he says, if, if God is holy and God punishes those who don't listen to Moses, what do you think is going to happen when we don't listen, not from some man who came from the earth, but if we don't listen to the one who God sent from heaven? He says in verse 26, at that time his voice shook the earth. When God spoke there in the book of Exodus, it shook the earth. It was so loud and powerful. He says, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Read you this scripture. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. That's where he's quoting from, from the prophet Haggai chapter 2, he tells us that God has shaken the earth once when he, he spoke. But that he's going to do it again. And this time when the earth shakes, if you will, when the earth shakes, there will be the removal of all things that can be shaken. That makes sense, right? When there's an earthquake... If you have a house that's built for earthquakes, it might survive. If you have a house built in Eichard, where we don't build for earthquakes, it's going to be destroyed. I mean, a big earthquake hits here, and this is all gone. Same thing in California, it might not do anything. Here, it's gone. He says there's a day coming when everything that can be shaken, everything that can be destroyed, that's what's going to happen. God's going to speak. He's going to set it all right. And only the things that are unshakable can remain. Only the things that cannot be destroyed will remain. He says, so we need to listen. He's going to remove all things that are not a part of his kingdom. He's going to remove all things that try not to be under his authority. He said, so we need to listen. See, I think we get discouraged sometimes. I think we, we worry sometimes because we fail to realize that God, in His mercy and grace, holds us in His hand. That He has us. That He holds us up. That He sustains us in our moments of great difficulty. And friends, they are many. Sometimes we try to approach God like there's still that mountain. We see God as, as far off. We see Him as hard to understand. We see Him as, as complicated and unloving. 
You know, we might not say that, and we'll come in and we'll sing the songs and we'll, we'll go through the motions, but what we really feel like deep down is God's not listening. God doesn't really care. If you're standing at the foot of that mountain that day when God spoke and the earth was shaken and doom and gloom was everywhere, maybe you could have that excuse. How can we have a relationship with this God that is so terrifying? But God knows that. So instead of of once again coming in a cloud, coming in darkness, coming in a shaking earth and a terrifying mountain, God comes in a baby in a manger. He comes in the form of a carpenter who preaches the good news and heals people. He comes in the form of his son so that through his son we can have a relationship with him. We shouldn't treat God as terrifying and scary. Now listen, I'll tell you, God is terrifying and scary. But he tells us that as his children, that's not how we relate to him. That might be how the world has to relate to him. That's how the world's going to relate to him when, when these things that he says here happens, this yet once more, and I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. That's going to be terrifying. And I would not want to be a part of that. I would not want to be involved in that, and I would not want to be under that judgment. Because he's already told us in this chapter that we are a part of God, the judge of all, but... God judges us, and this is the end of verse 23, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. That's what happens to us. But he says we need to listen. And friends, this is why we exist, is to tell the world, hey, you need to listen. God's serious about this. It's not because he's mean. It's not because he's vindictive. God, God cares about this because He is holy and He made us to be holy and we failed to do that, but He gives us the opportunity to be holy again. So He says to listen to the same voice. And He closes out with this in verses 28 and 29. Listen to the same voice and be grateful. It says, therefore, let us be grateful. For receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Listen, they received a mountain. Mountains are cool. It was probably nice to receive a mountain. But they received a mountain that could be shaken. And when it was shaken, it scared them half to death. The other half was the death they were going to get if they went on the mountain. But we didn't receive that. We received a kingdom. And he says, the thing that we have to worry about in the future is this time when he is going to shake everything again. He says, but we've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. What God has given us cannot be removed. No one can take it away. No one can damage it. See, it doesn't matter what happens in the world around us. When it comes to our relationship with God, it cannot be taken away from us. It cannot be destroyed. It doesn't matter if we live here where things are free, if we live in a country where we have restrictions on our freedom. 
none of that affects our relationship with God. As a matter of fact, it may strengthen it. It can remind us that we have been given His kingdom that cannot be taken away. So what do we do? How do we show God that we are grateful? He tells us. He says, and thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship. Let us offer to God acceptable worship. That's how we show Him that we are grateful. What is acceptable worship? Is acceptable worship wearing the right kind of clothes? No. Is it how much of an offering you give? No. Is it how often you're in church? No. As much as I would like it to be, no. Is it how many good things you do? No. Is it how nice you are to your mother on Mother's Day? A little bit, but still no. But remember that. Go back to chapter 11, read it all the time, and he'll remind you what acceptable worship is. Acceptable worship is our faith. How did they give acceptable worship in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews? How does Abel give acceptable worship in Abraham and Moses and Samuel and David? How do they do that? They do so by their faith. They do it with their faith and they do it in their faith. That's our acceptable worship. Because, see, you can come here and you can sit in this chair right here on the front row and you can raise your hand during every song and you can fill up our offering plate, which we will appreciate, but it does not impress God if it's not in faith. It doesn't do it. Because there's people who sit on the back row of churches who struggle to put anything in an offering plate who live by greater faith than any of us can imagine. And to God, that is acceptable worship. We do this acceptable worship in reverence and in awe. See, that's what God wanted them to understand with this mountain. This mountain was not supposed to be just some scary place. You know, I think maybe all of us have been in or heard of churches where, you know, the number one goal was to you know, scare the hell out of you. They want to get the devil out of you. They want to scare you and scare you and scare you and scare you so you do something with your life. They want to scare you so you get baptized and they scare you so you come to church and then they scare you so that you give. And all those people do is live scared, right? God didn't have this mountain so that they would be scared. God had this mountain that was terrifying so that they would understand who he was. So that when they came to him to worship, they would come to him with reverence and awe. They would understand that he is God and they are not. He didn't want them to be scared. He wanted them to be humbled. He wanted them to be in awe that they had been chosen by such a great God. And what they understood and what we should understood by that, from verse 29, is that our God is a consuming fire. See, he's not changed from those times in Exodus 19 and 20. He's not lightened up. He's still holy. He's a consuming fire, and we stand grateful that he has given us a way in Christ to come to him and have a relationship. We don't come to him scared. But we do come to him in all. That the God who spoke out of darkness 
and created the light. Who spoke out of darkness and made everything that is. Who, who as he spoke, birds appeared in the sky. As he spoke, trees grew up from the ground and mountains rose up from the rocks. And he comes to us and says, I pick you. I want you to have a relationship with me. I pick you and I want you to be my son, my daughter. I pick you and I want you to be my friend. I pick you and I want you to follow after me. I choose you and I want you to be holy and righteous and pure. It's a big, a big deal. And so we worship him in our faith with reverence and with all. Friends, we have been made part of a kingdom that is full of joy and peace. It is different, extremely different than the world that we live in. It looks different, it acts different, it does different things. It's no wonder that we are often in conflict with the world because we're not the same. But in those times when you get discouraged, bad things are happening, you're dealing with conflict, you're dealing with loss, whatever it is. When those times happen, remember who your God is. Remember your God who loved you enough that instead of being terrifying on a mountain far away that you could not get to, He sent His Son so that you could draw near to Him. So that you could come close to Him and know Him and love Him. How sad it is when people see God is far off. Because God is close by. And He wants you He wants you to come close to him and depend on him and fall on him and worship him in faith with reverence and with awe. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, God, we are so thankful that you have given us this day, you've given us your wonderful word that that speaks to us, your wonderful word, that helps us, that leads and guides us. God, we're thankful that you you abundantly pardon. God, you love us in our sin. And God, you're with us. You're with us even, God, when we, we think you're far off. God, when we're worried about coming into your presence, when we're, we're concerned about what you might think about us or what we've done or we feel unworthy, God, you tell us to put all of that aside, to draw near to you, to, to run to you, to be close to you. God, we're grateful that in every circumstance we face, God, you're there. God, you love us. And you're there to see us through. God, we thank you for who you are and what you're doing. We thank you for the great grace that we have in your son Christ. God, we ask these things in his precious name today. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me as we're going to sing this morning.
You know, if you feel like God is far away, that He's not close, that He's off somewhere, you know, He calls us to, to call on His name, and He'll be there. You know, maybe you're here this morning, you've never called on the name of Christ, you, you've never asked Him to save you. It's, it's more complicated than that, but, but you know if that's something you've never done. I, I want to share with you how to do that. I would love to do so. Maybe this morning you just need to be strengthened. And maybe you're going through some things and you felt like God is far away. Well, he's calling on you to draw near to him this morning. Whatever it is, whatever God's speaking to you, just respond. Whether it's talking to me or praying where you're at, I just want to encourage you to respond this morning as we sing.